David McKee, who is this year's stewardship chair, uh, asked me to remind any of you who have volunteered this year to work with stewardship, whether it be in a leadership role or a small group role or a, a caller or whatever it is you're meeting now uh, in the nave. So any of you who have previously volunteered, uh, I should have mentioned that at announcements, but I didn't get a memo to do that. But even so, I told him I would do it now. If any of you have volunteered, uh, you are needed in the nave today. There is a makeup Wednesday at Cranmer House. Nevertheless, we could, you could do that. Ready to pray? The Lord be with you. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings, and with thy most gracious favor, further us with thy continual help, that in all our works, begun, continued, and ended in thee, we may glorify thy holy name, and finally, by thy mercy, obtain everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay. We'll continue now with our little three-part series, What Would Jesus Have to Say to the Church Today? As we repeated uh, often, uh, we, this is something about which we need not purely speculate. We, we have the epistles in the New Testament, Paul's epistles and other epistles. Certainly the book of Acts, we can learn uh, about what was going on in the church and get an idea of what Jesus might say to the church, but especially in uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. Uh, last week, we looked at the letters that were written to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. That's in the second chapter. The, today, we'll be looking at Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Uh, these seven churches that are, that are in uh, these two chapters in Revelation are, are mentioned in the order in which a messenger might visit if they were to leave the Isle of Patmos and, 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 and go in a, a logical uh, direction, it would kind of form an ir irregular circle. <clears throat> Seven, <clears throat> as we've mentioned, is a symbol of <clears throat> completeness. It's it's a it's a literal number, but it's also a symbolic number, signifying wholeness and completion. <clears throat> so that these are indeed seven letters of seven individual churches that actually existed in history and the time and the place had their own little things going on, their particular situations in their church, but they also represent. Uh, churches for all ages. So the words that Jesus sends to these churches in terms of admonishment, uh, uh, censure, uh, encouragement are words uh, not just to, uh, to them, but uh, to the church, the universal church in all ages, and certainly even to us here at the Advent. Uh, the focus of this sermon has not uh, been not only on how and uh, why things have go bad for the church but also uh, as uh, a barometer to, uh, and something to help us, uh, a foundation on which to stand as we uh, prepare for the future in terms of perseverance uh, and, and, and hope to move forward in ministry. On the first Sunday, this is back to September 2nd, we did chapter 1. We did an introduction in chapter 1, which serves as a kind of introduction to the seven letters. And also the entire epistle last Sunday, as I said, we did the first four. And I wish we had time to review those, <clears throat> but I'm going to go jump on uh, right into the fifth, sixth, and seventh letter. And I hope to leave a little bit of time because I'm going to do something a little risky. And I'll tell you what it is at the end of the class. Uh, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's a little risky but and maybe even presumptuous. 
as you can guess probably what it is, I'm going to read a letter that Jesus has written to the Advent. And I know that's presumptuous, <clears throat> but uh, just based on my experience and based, and based also on what we've learned in these seven letters, I'm going to give it a stab. Okay, so let's go then to, uh, to the church there of the Sardis. We're going to begin at the beginning of chapter. Do we have the pass out? Very interesting. Very, very. I don't know. Is there anything you can do about a handout? It, it, it's, it's supposed to be available. How many have your Bibles? We have. Yeah. Would you see what I could just the sextons? Start with the sextons. You know, I don't know, guys. They were printed. It's supposed to be handed out, and they haven't been handed out. Okay, well, I will. Uh, let's start. You just have to listen up. <clears throat> But first, a little word about the church at, at Sardis. Uh, Sardis was, uh, as you continue around, now this would be the, 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 the fifth church. Sardis would be uh, the, the next in line as this messenger makes this irregular loop. Sardis, uh, historically, was devastated by an earthquake. This would be circa uh, 15 to 20 B.C. By the time John was writing this letter on the Isle of Patmos, it had been, it had been uh, uh, rebuilt uh, Sardis had, uh, was a busy a city, uh, heavy in trade uh, and, uh, and traffic. It's about 30 miles from uh, Thyatira. You remember that's the home of Lydia, about whom we talked last week. We know more about the city of Sardis than we do, than we do the church, but apparently it was a very active church. It was rem- admired by many people. Uh, judged by its reputation, we, we can assume that this church had no shortage of resources. Uh, the letter was dictated uh, to uh, John. Uh, the, the letter that Jesus dictated to John uh, to this church, we're going to find is one of the most severe of all the seven letters. And it starts off. <clears throat> this is chapter 3, verse 1, for those of you who got your Bibles. Uh, and to the angel of the church at Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, all in chapter one, don't worry about it now. I know your works. You have the name of being alive, and yet you are dead. First, how would you like to start a letter from Jesus, and, and this is what, and this is what, the first thing that you hear from Jesus. I, I, I immediately think of Joe Gibbs one time when he met with, a, with, with some prelate, and, and you know, we were talking about, the church and so forth, and this one prelate says to Joe, I want you to know that I will die an Episcopalian. So Joe came back to me and said, Frank, I'm afraid he's already died an Episcopalian. So <clears throat> what Jesus is saying there, <clears throat> what Jesus is saying there is that uh, you, 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 you have a heartbeat, but uh, in, in our eyes you are dead. Uh, as, we, as we observed last week, a lot of these letters begin really nice, and then you look for the butt. But I have this against you, you know, and I said, I look at my emails, oh, it's all real nice. You know, we really love you so forth, but I have this against you. But in this letter, there is no but. This is pretty much a censure from the get-go. I know, you have, I know your works, he's starting out. You have a great reputation. Uh, the, the, all the bishops love you, and you think you are thriving, but actually you're a community of zombies. You are a, you're living in a spiritual graveyard. So the reputation has obviously spread here. Uh, everybody loved it, had a wonderful reputation, but there was a problem. And interestingly, in this letter, we don't hear, as we did in some of the previous letters, we don't hear of any problem about uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Nicolaitans, 
the, the heretics who came in, uh, heresy from the outside gaining a footage within. We don't hear about Balaam. We don't hear about uh, Jezebel Ites. Remember the spirit of Jezebel living uh, in one of these previous uh, letters? We don't hear of that. Whatever was going on, uh, it, was, it was coming from within. And we get a clue to whatever that problem was if you, by looking uh, at verse at verse 4 where it says, I have, there are some among you who have sold their garments. And so apparently that, in biblical jargon, that's going to refer to sexual immorality. Uh, seems to be what was going on here uh, in, uh, in, in, in this particular church. Uh, and so this a letter we see right off is a, a reminder that just because human beings admire it and has a great reputation doesn't mean anything. That what human beings see is not what God sees. And we see that working its way out throughout the Bible. It's certainly here uh, at the church of uh, at this particular church. In verse 2 it says, uh, Awake, strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. Uh, for your works are not, are not good in the sight of God. They were doing good works, but they were dead works. Not necessarily evil works, but they were dead works. And there's a difference in the Bible between, between uh, evil works and dead works. There are, dead work, there are evil works, dead works, and good works. And it depends on where, where love for God fits into the equation there. So now, all of a sudden, it says wait. So the metaphor changes from uh, being uh, dead to being uh, asleep because you can't appeal, you can't appeal to a, a dead man to, to wake up. It says wake up or else what is, is faithful for those who didn't spoil their garments uh, uh, will also die. Uh, strengthen, be, be, be careful, be watchful. Remember what you, he's, this is in verse 3. Gosh, I'm really sorry about these handouts. This is just incredibly terrible. I hope you can follow. He is saying in verse 3, remember what you receive and heard. What do you think that is? The gospel, absolutely. Remember your first love. Remember uh, what we said from the very beginning. The very bookends of Christianity was repentance for, for forgiveness of sins. He said, remember that. Keep it because you, don't know, you do not know. Verse 3, I will become like a thief. And you will know that I've, the hour I'll come upon you. So they are to remember what they heard, to stand on that core fundamental teaching and repent for the forgiveness of sins. And remember what repentance is. Uh, it, you know, it gets a bad name. Repentance is not cleaning up your act. As you'll see on the channel, whatever that is, uh, for, for uh, some of these uh, evangelical churches, I mean, you know, I, we got it right and they all got it wrong. I know, but repentance is not cleaning up your act and going to Jesus. Repentance is fleeing, turning, and going to Jesus, baggage and all. Come to Jesus and let him decide how he's going to do you. Because if you wait till you're clean enough, you ain't going to get, ever get there. So that's what repentance is. So uh, those, he says here in this letter, who have resisted these evil allurements uh, will wear white and they will be declared worthy. And we need to remember that that is not because they earned these white garments. It's because they were given to these white garments. And, and Jesus' promises that they will withstand the, this, this, what's going on within, this, this allurement to call evil good uh, and get involved in sexual immorality. If you resist that, he says, then you will stand righteous before God. Let's remember, though, that is not because they earn that righteousness. It is because it is imputed righteousness, righteousness that God will give them. We see that very clearly later on in Revelation uh, where he says, who are these people standing before the throne in white robes? And he says, you know who they are. These are the people who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And he says, he who conquers will wear white garments. I will blot his name in the book of life. Now, you remember, 
the, the book of life is, is a symbol, but behind that symbol is a very serious truth. It's also called the Lamb's book of life. Uh, one day we know that book will be open. Uh, and as Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you rejoice that you've been able to do a lot of healing. You need to rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, and so what, what we learn in this letter to, to the church at Sardis is that this glittering reputation doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean anything. It, it's meaningless. And so what, and they, they're reminded of that, uh, that in, I, everybody thinks you're a thriving church. Well, let me tell you what, you're dead. You're living in a spiritual graveyard. And if you don't, if you don't wake up, then I'm going to come. And you don't know what hours I'm going to come. So remember what you receive, keep it, and repent. So I'll get, I'll get back to Sardis in just a minute. Let's go to Philadelphia. That's the next church that the messenger would come. So he writes this letter to, uh, to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, you know, comes from that Greek word philia, uh, which is love, brotherly love. From hence we get the Philadelphia in the United States. Is, it doesn't it have the tagline of being the city of brotherly love? Well, it comes from the Greek word philia. Uh, now, the history of this church is marked by earthquakes also. And the same earthquake that, 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 that wiped out Sardis uh, also wiped out Philadelphia. But as Sardis was rebuilt, so was Philadelphia. And so the letter here to Philadelphia is one of, did you not have a handout? Yeah, you got it now, but where was it earlier? Uh, yeah, well, pass it out. Whose was it in? In Joyce's mailbox. Okay. Okay, that's fine. I wonder how many vacation days I got left. No, listen, I'm really not so bad. <laughs> they know me. They know I'm, they know I'm full of grace. Yeah. <laughs> huh? I preach about it. Forked tongues. Now, this, I'll tell you what you're going to find here. Uh, we at verse 7. What we're going to find here uh, is that the, the, the letter to the church at Philadelphia is uh, a little unusual in that we're not going to see any censure. It's one of the very few that is complete encouragement and exhortation. Uh, I, uh, I, I know your works. Verse, uh, uh, oh, he says, you know, he says to them, the one who's speaking has the key of David. He opens uh, a door which no one can shut. Uh, I know your works. I've set before you an open door that no one is able to shut. He says in the seventh verse, uh, or open for that matter. I know you have little power. But you have kept my word, uh, and, and you have not denied my name. And so, uh, again, this letter is full of symbolism. Uh, there's this open door that no one can uh, open or shut, verse 7, verse 8. He's the one that holds the key of David. It's not St. Peter, you know the guy we say at the pearly gates. St. Peter is the man there. No, it isn't either. It's Jesus himself. Uh, he has the door, and he who, promises, who, who walks through it will become a pillar in the temple of God. That's down in verse 12. We won't go into, into any detail, but this door which, of which he holds the key uh, is the same door when he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Uh, and many people have a hard time with this closed door thing, saying, well, that's so exclusive. But, hey, you know, what could be more open? What could be more inclusive than the gospel itself? Uh, the dying thief can certainly uh, attest to the idea that the door is open, even at the very end. But if someone will insist 
on resisting mercy, there yeah, it has to be. It can't be gainsaid. There is a point in time when the door closes and doors locked. But we always think of the bad news. But what about the good news of that? A locked door that the devil cannot enter because once it's open, you know, there's this cosmic evil that Saint Paul talks about. He can't get through this door. And once you're in the kingdom of God, if any of you have lost loved ones and they're in the kingdom, let me tell you, they're, they're secure. They're not living like in Manhattan with doors uh, uh, that, that people can enter in through and you're worrying about having to lock all these doors. This door is sealed. And so we forget about the good news. I mean, the, the, the comfort that it comes with once you're in there, you're locked in there uh, and you belong to God. So behold, verse 9. I will make those, he's talking about those who resist him, uh, 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 to, to be uh, as a synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews, but they're not. They, they, act, they, they think they're children of Abraham, but they're not. They got the bloodline, but they are not a part of God's promises, not anymore. But because you, verse 10, have kept my words, I will keep you from the hour of trial, uh, I, uh, which is coming to the whole world. Uh, verse 11, I'm coming soon, so just hold on so that you may seize your crown. He that conquers, he that perseveres, I will make him a... You've heard of a, a pillar in the temple of God. We've heard of the, uh, of the expression, he is a, he's a pillar of the church. We've all heard that. Well, this is exactly where, uh, where it comes from. He who... Uh, and I will, write, uh, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Uh, it, it's just full of hope. He who has ear, let it what, hear what the Spirit says to the church. Verse 8, up there, back to verse 8, I know you have little power. Uh, you remember God's power is made perfect in weakness. You know, apparently this church was poor. It was struggling. It probably had a small operating budget. We don't know the details, uh, but they, they, and they were receiving persecution. Uh, and, and Jesus, and this is, as I've said, is a church with no censure, only a letter uh, of, of encouragement. Our hearts have to go out to the people in this church. Uh, and, and, and Jesus comforts them by saying uh, the day is coming when uh, these bullies will fall down at your feet. They will be like captives on a battlefield. So without going into all the rich uh, symbolism here, uh, this is a needy church, a poor church, a weak church, but a church that Jesus loved, uh, which withstood a lot of heat from the outside. And Jesus is promising them that uh, they, their day in the sun is coming. You know, God has a heart for what's down and for what's, and for what's uh, struggling. He has a heart for, for the weak. What, what Mr. Worldly Man considers uh, ugly and small may be, but God doesn't see it that way. And, and we see it here in this letter. and never has and never will, apparently, because he says in the kingdom of God, uh, the, the, the last uh, will be first. And, and you know, really, if, you, if we could come around to seeing that the way God sees it, then those things in our lives that we might be ashamed of that we just simply cannot help, if we can come around to seeing as the way God sees it, uh, then maybe we could have a new lease on life. Uh, but I, I, I love this letter. Uh, there'll be a, an open door for them. He says, he's holding this open door for them and then kind of an entrance into the green, in the green pastures if you read in Psalm 23 and where the good shepherd will be, the, be with them. And they will have a crown, become pillars in the, in the, of the church, and they will wear a crown. Let's go now to Laodicea. Now that we got our scriptures, we can slow down a little bit, and maybe I can uh, calm down. 
Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of creation. Now, all of these letters start to the church of the angel. We talked about in, in, in the first chapter saying we don't know who these angels are at these particular churches, but nevertheless, uh, to, to the angel of the church of Laodicea. And each one of these churches says write. Then he gives a description of, of himself. And that's always uh, very interesting. In this case, the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's who Jesus is. This is the guy doing the speaking. So, you know, that, that would encourage you to, to, to read carefully. I know your works. And he says that to every one of them. I know your works. I know what you're doing. You don't, there's not a thing hidden from me. You think you have a fine reputation? But let me tell you what. You're a zombie. So this one, the guy said, I know your works. Listen to this. You are neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're a lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, that's kind of a tender appeal to holiness, wouldn't you say? I'm being sarcastic. Uh, actually, this is probably the sternest of all the letters with little praise to go to the church. And the problem, interesting, doesn't seem to be bad teaching, although that is that is censured throughout the whole way. It doesn't seem to be uh, uh, immorality even that has seeped into this church from the outside. The problem seems to be, from what we can judge here, is that they are just they are nom- the nominal, nominal, lukewarm, if nothing else is going on, let's just go to church kind of Christians. Uh, and because you are lukewarm, lukewarm, he says, neither hot, cold, nor hot, I will spew out of my mouth. Uh, and, and for those of you who weren't here the first Sunday, I'll tell the story again real quickly. But uh, when we hired a new youth director, senior member uh, at, at St. Helens, and his, we had given him a new, a brand new constructed youth space, and we gave him some paint and said, here, do it as you want to just get it ready and he was brand new on the job so he up on up up on the uh on the uh hmm? on the crown molding of, of he, he wrote these words because you're lukewarm warm and neither cold nor hot i will spew you out of my mouth <clears throat> and he wrote these words all the way around so when and the youth would be coming in on rata day into their new space and these that would be the first verse that they would see uh and and the associate rector and I went up there to visit before kids got there, and we looked at it, and they said, oh, whoa. And I, and I looked at Jeff, and I said, Jeff, what should we do? And he said, tell him to take it down. And I said, what are we going to put up? He said, come unto me, all you travail and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. He said, put that up. I said, but whatever, put that thing down. And these kids, you know, they, they'll leave and, uh, and, and, and just be scared to death. But at any rate, he says, it's a true story. Uh, verse 17, I, I, and he doesn't, he said, well, I did, we need to talk about this, but I'll take it down, you know. But, but later, I think he began to realize that, uh, that maybe that wasn't the right approach. Verse 17, you say I'm rich, I prosper, and I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. See, this is opposite from, from chapter, the second chapter at uh, uh, Smyrna. If you remember, he says, I know your tribulation. Uh, and your poverty, but you are actually rich and don't know it. And so this is the opposite. This is the flip side of that. He said, I know you're rich, but what you don't know is you're really poor. You're pitiable. You, you, you're blind and you're naked. 
Uh, could this be a church in Beverly Hills? It could be. But you know what? It'd also be a church in some of the better neighborhoods uh, here uh, in Birmingham. It could be, I mean, you know, it could be, there's a little bit of Advent here. There's a little bit of uh, a, a lot of the church. I don't know. This letter probably could be written in more churches uh, in America in, in this 21st century than any other letters that I know of. That's just my, a lot, of, a lot, well, all these letters could be. Every letter here applies to the churches, but this one certainly hits home. Uh, so uh, it, it's just a biblical fact that we see that the problem with having, uh, the problem with, with being uh, uh, a rich man in the Bible is, is not that riches in and of themselves bad, not at all. That's not true at all. It's just that it's hard for rich men to know that that they have this need. Life can be so pleasant for for. for some people that you, you just wonder if the city of God has any anything in store for them. So he says, you say I'm rich. I prosper not knowing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, th- that's the reality is Martin Luther is his great, one of the, Martin Luther said on his deathbed, we are all beggars. And that's one of the great things that uh, that Luther, Luther's legacy is, is what he said. Now along, along with this comes some uh, advice. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me, go refined by fire, verse 18, that you may be rich, real rich. You think you're rich, but you're not. But I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich, rich, and white garments to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and to salve your, to salve to, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Now, we certainly shouldn't take this, the word buy, come buy from me literally there, because if we do, we entirely miss the point. Uh, salvation uh, cannot be purchased. Laodicea was a chief city in the region of Pergia, by the way, and we, we, we hear that mentioned in the Pentecost readings there in Act 2. Phrygia, uh, excuse me, Phrygia was uh, a, thriving, uh, a, a thriving part of that region. Uh, we don't have a clue as to who planted the gospel seeds there for this church at Laodicea, but it had become a well-to-do church in a city that was deeply immersed uh, with uh, in, in trade. And so Jesus is using language that are appropriate is appropriate for commercial-minded uh, uh, Laodiceans. In effect, in effect, Jesus is saying, "I would advise you to forget all of these other su- suppliers in which you are buying. I would advise you to forget them." Uh, and and come by f- what I have to offer. And he's pulling there from Isaiah 55, verse 1, which says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. He who has no money, come and buy. And so that's where Jesus is pulling from. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's from Isaiah 55, 1. You, have to, you simply have to have a beggar's mentality to understand the richness of Christianity. You have to have a beggar's mentality to understand the depth and the power of Christianity. And if you don't have a beggar's mentality, you'll never get the richness and the fullness of the gospel. Uh, remember a long time ago, uh, uh, Ted Turner was making, uh, was a Citadel graduate. He was making a, a dress talk to to, I think it was the Citadel, maybe the student body, in which he said something. I think he regretted saying it, you know, you know, like the sermon, but where he said that Christianity is for losers. You remember that? And uh, and it, people kind of gasped and 
said, how could he possibly say such a thing? And I would ask about it. I said, he's right. He's right. He says, he's a theologian and doesn't know it. I mean, he didn't mean to be right. He meant it to be derogatory. But in fact, he's right. Christianity is for beggars. Christianity is for people who, who are right here. Pitiable, lame, blind, poor, naked, so forth. And, and so uh, he, he says, uh, come by from me. And 19, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove. Why is it that if you say, if you reprove someone for whatever they may be doing, why is it if you say, no, this is wrong, what you're doing is wrong, the, this, this, the area you've taken your life is wrong, you don't love me. You know, and that's not so. If you know, if I don't love you, then go ahead and drink your brains out. If you don't love you, you don't go ahead. That's a big deal. Look at the food. You know, but if you love someone, uh, then you. This is what it says right there. I, those whom I love, I reprove. That to me just kind of jerks in my heart. Jesus, that's the old. Jesus loves the sinner. He doesn't love the sin. Behold, verse twenty. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and be with him. Now, I'm not going into election this morning. <laughs> you know, it says, behold, I knock at the door. You've got to let me in. I, let me just say that if God wants to get in through your door, then you can have the, the locks at Fort Knox there and nothing going to stop him. He's coming in. Uh, on the other hand, God says, I'm at the door, knock, you've got to open up. And on the other hand, the Bible has choice as a part of it. So on one hand, open up. On the other hand, I chose you before the foundation of the world. You didn't choose me, I chose you. All right from Scripture, both of them. There are two truths. Just because we can't reconcile those truths doesn't mean they aren't true. It's part of human nature. If we can't reconcile it in our mind, it must be foolishness. But it's not foolishness. Every serious theologian has to has to wrestle with this with this antinomy is the word which is more powerful than a paradox they're both true we can't reconcile them in eternity one day god will show us how 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 it works but until then what we do is we preach like an arminian and believe in our hearts like like an augustinian so we, we preach like it's all up to us but we know that it's all up to god you see that gives us the freedom and so we open the door for jesus he comes in and then we find out he 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 chose us all along. Uh, we were his all along anyway. So uh, that, let me, that's enough for that. 21, he who conquers, I will grant him to sit with, sit with me on my throne as myself conquered uh, and sat down with my father. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Okay, that's just about as fast as you can possibly go through the third chapter of Revelation. Now, I, I'm going to, and, and I haven't done it justice but I'm going, what I'm going to do now is to make a very, very general summary of what we learn in these seven verses, and then I'm going to do something risky. What, we ha- what have we learned about what Jesus says to the churches? From the Ephesians, from the church Ephesians, they were urged to return to their first love and passion like a bride's honeymoon love for her husband. Uh, now, the church at, at the Ephesians were praise for their good works they were they they were 
commended because they had rejected bad teaching. They had rejected false teaching, and they were doing good works. But the problem was that they were dead works because they had lost their, their passionate love for what they first received. That love had, 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 had uh, uh, ceased to be so passionate, and he wants to return to that passionate love. Church at Smyrna, they're a poor, persecuted church. Uh, but Jesus says, you are poor, but let me tell you what, you're not. In my sight, you're rich. So persevere, and I will give you the crown of life. The church of Pergamum, uh, they were told to hold on to the truth. The love seemed to be there, but they were beginning to, to let some, some uh, false teachings come in. But they said, well, one of the things important, they will love each other. That's all that really matters. All right, so there's some bad teaching going on here. But as long as we just love each why can't we just love each other? Ever heard that? Okay. What they got the letter at Pergamum is that truth, I mean, love without truth is saccharine. It's not real love. Just like Jesus is 100% grace, 100% truth. And that's what we learned at Pergamum. The message of the Thyatira is this, the theme that we see again and again, and that is the exhortations to righteousness uh, in the face of teachings that condones immorality. You see that Theotara. That's Theotara's one of my favorite letters, uh, not only because Lydia was there and, you know, that's, and she was in the dye business and that's where the purple dye came from. There's a lot of things going on there. But what they're saying is you're doing good works, but I just need to encourage you to reject Jezebel's spirit, which is living at Thyatira, uh, because uh, this false teaching that condones immorality, uh, I, 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 Jesus rebukes them very sternly about it. The message of Sardis, as we saw this morning, is despite your glittering reputation, you are in reality a spiritual graveyard. So they better wake up, he says. Wake up from the dead, just like Jesus called Lazarus out of dead. Wake up from the dead, and you better tend to the, the little pocket of faithfulness that you have, or else they're going to die also. The message of Philadelphia is the world sees you as weak, but you know what? I see you as strong because my power is not made perfect in strength. My power is made perfect in weakness. So hold on. There's an open door for you. Walk through it. This open door, I will close it, and you will be given a crown, and you will become pillars in the temple of God. The message to the lukewarm Laodiceans was you say you are rich. You say you are strong. You are doing, and you need nothing. How wrong you are. Your ignorance uh, is, is, is making me sick to my stomach, basically, literally. I will spew you out of my mouth. Your ignorance is, 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 is more than I can stand. You are needy, and you better come to buy from me what you cannot afford. So come buy from me what no man can buy. Repent and do so, and remember, I'm rebuking you because I love you. That's the letter to Laodiceans. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, finally, we're going to read a letter to the Advent that Jesus has written. It's supposed to. You know what? It takes a little nerve. I realize that. And I, I, I do it. I'm making myself vulnerable, and you don't have to agree with this at all. Uh, and you can take issue with it all. And I would be interested to know what. If, you know, review, read chapters two and three yourself. and. And then think about, okay, here's my church. What would Jesus say to the church, to my church, of which I'm a member? What would Jesus say? Well, that's what I did. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. It just kind of just came right out. Here's what I wrote. <clears throat> to the angel of the church 
of the Advent in Birmingham right. The words of the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the end of the bright morning star. You know I'm going to throw that in. I know your works. You have entered through the narrow door and held fast to the one thing needful. You have stood firm against those who would lead my people away from the faith once delivered to the saints. Stand firm, for this battle is not yours but God's. Stand firm and see the victory of the Lord. But I have a few things against you. Many among you are holding back and do not trust enough to give as they have been given. For your coffers should be overflowing that I may be fully glorified. Repent then, for surely I am coming soon to settle accounts. I'm just reading the letter. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) Return to your first love and to that which you first heard. Keep it and receive it. And let your light so shine before men, else I will come and extinguish your lamp. But remain steadfast, for this you have. You hate the words of those who would change my words. You are faithful, and I will increase your faith. But remember what I have given you, for he who has been forgiven much loves much. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. That's, That's what I think. Just reading. Okay. We got two minutes. Well, I, would, I guess I would encourage everybody to write their own letter to themselves. It's, it's therapeutic. I really enjoy it. I had to ask myself. And listen, I'm not wagging my finger at anybody. I'm, I always preach to myself. I always write to myself. I do something like this. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I think tolerance without truth is saccharine, and it's not real tolerance. I think when you hold up both love and truth together, uh, then tolerance uh, is is a beautiful thing. But I think think if you just dismiss it without truth, and that comes up at Pergamum, uh, then then it's not real tolerance. Tolerance doesn't mean uh, turning uh, a blind eye to what is hurting someone, and ultimately, that's ultimately cruel. And I think there's been a lot of damage done in the name of tolerance. But the gospel, what is more tolerant, what is more inclusive than the gospel itself? So I hope that. Do you think that there is any way to know if their reaction to this? Whose reaction? Well, they're no longer here. Let him who hears hear. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. That we aren't told what 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 they did when they, when they read this. Yeah, I, I know I know we would. I would like to think that. I would like to think so, but I know that you know that they're, these letters are still doing their business. And again, I come into John Scott's book. Uh, Jesus Speaks to the Church Today. It's out of print, but you probably can go on the web and get it. But uh, He spends just a little book about that thick just on the first three chapters. One for the road. One for the road. Frank, I think I heard you correctly in the letter that 
that I think you were just using Jesus' words, but you said that you, we are fearful of opening our coffers, meaning our personal. Did you say that? Fearful of. There's something about. I know, I know, but I, I want. But that fearful. We're fearful of. Well, I, I, to the angel of the church of the Advent in Birmingham, write. The words of the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and the bright morning star. I know your works. You have entered through the narrow door and held fast to the one thing needful. You have stood firm against those who would lead my people away from the faith once delivered to the saints. Stand firm, for this battle is not yours, but God. Stand firm and see the victory of the Lord. But I have a few things against you. Many of you are holding back and do not trust enough to give as they have been given for your coffers should be overflowing that I may be fully glorified. Repent then, for surely I'm coming soon to settle accounts. Gulp. Return to the fir- your first love and to that which you have first heard. Keep it and receive it and let your light shine before men, else I will come and extinguish your lamp. But remain steadfast, for this you have. You hate the works of those who would, lead to, who would change my words. You are faithful, and I will increase your faith. But remember what I have given you. For he who has been forgiven much, loves much. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So you didn't use that word fearful about, you know, opening our coffers to the works of the church. But I think I'm that saying that, that if we trusted, our coffers yeah. would be filled. Yeah. yeah. Overflowing. Yeah. We have more. We, 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 exactly. Yeah. Got it. I think it has to do with fear, though, about us letting go. What would do? What 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 would it look like if the majority of our members really took the biblical tithe seriously? What would it look like here? Unbelievable, unbelievable. If we just look at the percentage we give, I didn't mean it as a development to a stewardship thing, but I'm just reading a letter that, that Jesus wrote. Yeah. While I was doing, and th- and this is and this is what came. <laughs> you think I should? Frank, can I pick it up? Well, it's kind of presumptuous. I'm speaking for Jesus. You know what I mean. Frank, can I piggyback on what Nina was talking about? Why do you think we don't trust enough to give what we've been given? Can you can you venture a, a guess? You know, we're sinful. I mean, you know, uh, lack of faith is just a part of who we are as sinners. How else to put it? And all we can do is repent and pray God increase our faith. Yeah. And I think that's a great answer. I got to go. Let's go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit.